Um, you know, like some of you, I grew up uh, going to Sunday school and, and uh, learned a lot of the stories about Jesus. And so even when I was a kid, there's a lot of things I could tell you about Jesus. I could tell you that he, he healed people, and I could tell you maybe a few of the stories that he told, like the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son. I knew that Jesus was a good shepherd. And uh, we were the lost sheep that he came to find. And, and I could tell you that he died on a cross, and that's kind of uh, one of the things that we remembered when we were uh, receiving communion. I could tell you that, that Jesus rose from the dead and was now in heaven. Uh, but then, you know, I, as I grew up a little older, I began to think, you know, I don't know, that, that's all great, but what does that have to do with me? And when I was in high school, it just seemed like all that just, you know, I wasn't sure where I fit into all of it. And then I met some credible people who told me how they had come to know Jesus personally and how he had turned their lives around. I mean, they were in a brand new direction. And, and I thought, could this be true? Could this be maybe the part that all had gone, gone over my head all these years? Maybe is this the part about Jesus I had not quite understood? This fall, we are learning the absolute basics of the Christian faith. And... Uh, Maybe you went to Sunday school when you were a kid like I did, and maybe you listened to Sunday sermons all your life, and you, you feel, okay, um, these are the absolute basics. What, what, do I need that? And I, I would say, well, I'm hoping that you're going to find that you are going to hear some things in these absolute basics that are gonna, you're going to find new or in a new way or going to resonate with you in a different way. Sometimes I think it's true that we pastors forget to revisit these basics every so often. And to go and do that in a deeper way. And for those of you who are brand new to all of this, maybe you're kind of new to the whole idea of faith or you're still exploring it, my goal is to present these basics to you in a way that, um, you know, as uh, clearly as I can so that you can say, okay, now I understand what this is about. And I am praying that not only will you think about it intellectually, but that God will open your heart. And that you'll come to know this Jesus personally who turns our lives around. Uh, two weeks ago, just to review, two weeks ago, uh, we asked, what is God like? And the answer was, here's the short version, God is perfect in power, knowledge, and in his holy love. And then last Sunday, we asked, why is there evil? Good question. The short answer is, God gave us free will to obey, and we did not. Fortunately, evil is not the end of the story. God, you see, had a plan. That if the humans rebelled against him, he would begin this plan by creating a covenant with one person. And through that one person, he would establish a, a relationship with, with their descendants, a, a nation. And, and they would learn about him and learn about his holiness and his faithfulness. And they would discover that this God loves them and this God hates what destroys them. And then came the heart of God's plan. And today, so today's question is, why did the Son of God become human? Why did the Son of God become human? Now, I think to answer that, it would be helpful to back up here just a little bit uh, and to ask, what does the title Son of God mean? And, and we probably all think we know, but, but I want to go a little more deep into that today um, because we usually go right to the Trinity, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's true. 
But the title, Son of God, has a more nuanced history. You know, there are a few times in the book of Job in the Old Testament uh, where poetically it calls the angels sons of God. And, and then uh, a couple of times in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is called God's son. But for the most part, the title son of God is a royal title. Did you know that? It was, it was a title reserved for the king. Now, this doesn't mean that the king was divine or God in any sense. It, it means that the king sp carries a special authority and responsibility to rule um, in, in God's place for his people. So, for example, in, Saul, in the second psalm in the Old Testament, uh, it's a coronation song. So on a big coronation day, this would be one of the, the songs they would, they would use. And one line is to be spoken or sung by the king. Here it is. It says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. So on coronation day, the king becomes, in a way, God's adopted son. And the people of Israel uh, uh, waited for the ultimate king to come. They called the Messiah, uh, anointed to fulfill God's purposes and to set uh, Israel free. And, uh, you know, in Jesus' day, in the first century A.D., if you would ask an ordinary, any run, anybody who was a, a Jew at that time, uh, if someone was the son of God, that they would have been meaning a human person chosen to be Israel's king the Messiah. When, when, they first, when they first thought of Son of God, that's what would have come to mind. Now, in the New Testament, Son of God is used the same way as a royal title, but sometimes it gets elevated. It gets elevated to a higher level. Remember, in Luke's Gospel, we look at this in Christmas time, when the angel Gabriel visits the maiden Mary and invites her to become the mother of the Son of the Most High. Now, that could just mean that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah King, but her, the miraculous conception of this child through the Holy Spirit tells us that Mary's son is going to be God's son in a way that no one else has ever been or ever will be. The angel says, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then there was the time when uh, Jesus told Simon Peter to come out of the boat and walk to him on the water where Jesus was. And, and some of you know this story, how Peter stepped out of the boat. And he walked a little bit, but then he got scared and he started to sink. And Jesus grabbed him and pulled him up. And they both then stepped into the boat with the rest of the disciples. And immediately, all of that gusty wind that had been going on became whisper quiet. And Matthew 14, says, Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, a good Jew would only worship God. I mean, that's what the first two of the Ten Commandments are about. And here, they worship Jesus, and somehow they, have, they, they are not in any way breaking any commandment. 
So when they worship Jesus and they confess him as the Son of God, they are elevating this royal title, identifying Jesus with God because they have just seen him do something they believed only God could do. Now, John's Gospel is, uh, says this even more boldly. Uh, the first verse of John's Gospel says this, and I would like for you to read the words in red with me, will you? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, I've always been intrigued by that, that, fra that you know, the phrasing there, that the Word that was in the beginning was with God, and yet was God. And then in verse 14, some believe this may be the most powerful and significant verse of all the New Testament. Verse 14, and again, say the words in red with me, will you? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. So it's saying that this, the Word who was with God and, and was God, became flesh, and he is the unique son of the Father, both divine and human, both God and man. But you know, that raises a lot of questions, too. If Jesus was both human and God, how did that work? Did, did, he, did he have an all-knowing God brain even when he was a baby? I'm pretty sure he didn't, or that would have been part of the story. When Jesus was born, his brain was just as soft and smooth and impressionable as any other baby. You know, the only story that we have uh, from Jesus' growing up years is when he was 12, and he wasn't where he was supposed to be, you know, worried his parents sick for three days. There he is in the temple chatting it up with the teachers. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Nothing's wrong. He thought it was a great excuse. I, I'm pretty much sure that Jesus was, did, did, was not all-knowing at that point. You see, the eternal Son, when he humbled himself to become human, born of a woman, given the name Jesus, he gave up his omniscience during his earthly life. For example, when Jesus was asked about the timing of certain future events, Jesus said that he, the Son, at least while he was on earth, didn't know. He says, I don't know. Only the Father knows this. So if Jesus gave up being all-knowing, what else did he give up when he took on human flesh? I would suggest that he gave up being all-powerful. Now, Jesus did possess power. We, we, we read a lot about his miracles and the things he did, but it was the power that he received through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit flowing through him. It's just that he was able to do that much better than any of us do. And then Jesus was also tempted, and his, his, um, he, because of his, in his humanity, those temptations were, were not automatically resisted, like, bing, they're gone. I mean, it was hard. It was a challenge to resist him. He had to rely on the truth of God's Word. He had to rely on the strength of the Holy Spirit, just like we do. I also wonder sometimes when Jesus realized that he had this unique relationship with the Father. 
I don't really know. But when Jesus was baptized, you remember what happened? We're told that the Holy Spirit descended upon him. I'm not sure what that experience was like, but it was a pretty big one. And then he heard a voice coming from the sky. It said, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. What if Jesus learned something about himself that day? What, what if there was a lot more he was going to learn about himself in the days to come? And I, I'm not really sure how it all happened, but I'm, I believe that there was a process to it. And I imagine that it took time for Jesus to recognize himself as the Son of God. And then what did that mean? Many of the groups here in our church are watching uh, one or two of the videos, Absolute Basics videos, each uh, week in their group. And so today, we're going to watch uh, just a two-minute clip from one of them. Okay? Let's watch. Um, about that video, one of the things I'm glad about is that it explained a little bit the word incarnation. It gave us a definition of taking on flesh, uh, that God has come to us in the flesh. Uh, the, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, has taken on our humanity, and that's why we say that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. And that brings us back to that original question, why? Why did he do it? Why did the Son of God humble himself and become human, become one of us? Let's open our Bibles to Galatians 4. Uh, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. If you didn't bring a Bible, just grab that pew Bible in front of you. Uh, you can look it up. It's on page 1170 there. And uh, if you uh, need a Bible to read at home, uh, we've got one for you out at the Connection Center. Just go across the foyer after worship, and it's next to the elevator, and uh, just go pick one up. They're free, okay? Now, let's walk through these two verses. It says, but when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. It's saying that, that Jesus' coming wasn't just like a last-minute idea, and God says, the Father says, hey, I got an idea, let's do this. No. Uh, other scriptures say that this was planned before the creation of the world. It was precisely timed. And then it says, born of a woman. Jesus wasn't a God hologram. Uh, he didn't zoom down on a heavenly spaceship. His mother gave birth to him, which means he was truly human. It also says that he was born under the law. Well, what does that mean? It means that he was born an Israelite, the, the people who had received God's law through Moses. And then in verse 5, we get more to why. Why to redeem those under the law so he came to redeem, which means to set free, like the song says, to set free Israel free and to set us all free from our slavery to sin, set us free from our hard-heartedness. And it says that we, that is all of us, Jew and non-Jew alike, that we may receive adoption to sonship. You could also translate it, receive adoption to 
to be God's children. But in this translation, it uses sonship to try to show you the verbal connection between Jesus being the son and what he b makes us become. And also because in, in those times, only sons were heirs. Okay? So he's saying that all of us, men and women, get to be heirs of God's promises. So, through Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. We are heirs of the promises of God. Why then did the Son of God become human? Well, first of all, because we needed it. We were in trouble. We are stuck in our sin. We are stuck in our addictions. We are stuck in our small, selfish lives, living for small things. We need help. So God sent his son to bring us back into the family. That's the big why. Say it with me, will you? God sent his son to bring us back into the family. And only Jesus could do that. You know, I love the illustration in the video about the ladder. Um, and, uh, you know, imagine that, that floodwaters are on their way. You know, at first service, somebody told me that as soon as I said that, uh, they got a little, they got a little uh, alert on their phone saying that it was a flood warning. <laughs> so anyway, imagine that floodwaters, big floodwaters are coming to your home, and you only have minutes to get up onto your roof for safety. Uh, so you pull out a ladder, but it's too short. It only goes halfway up. You can't get there. No good. Fortunately, there's someone already on the roof of your house with a ladder, and they start to let their ladder down, but it's too short. It only goes halfway down. No good. You need a ladder that reaches all the way. The video says, if Jesus wasn't fully human, then he didn't come all the way down, and we can't get on the ladder. If Jesus wasn't fully divine, then he can't take us all the way up to God. But Jesus is the full-length ladder. He alone is able to bridge that gap. Um, Friday night, Trish and I went to go see the Downton Abbey movie. Any of you seen it? You're going to see it? Yeah. Uh, in the story, and I'm not going to give away too many spoilers here, but in the story, uh, King George and Queen Mary are hosted by the Crawleys at Downton Abbey. And everyone... You know, whatever their status is in the house, they are enthralled with this, enthralled to serve uh, the king and queen. And at one point, the Crawley's son-in-law um, notices a young woman who's upset, and so he speaks to her, and he's not really a fan of the monarchy, so he doesn't realize who she is. She's the princess. Uh, and the fact that he doesn't recognize her, though, turns out to be an advantage because they can talk more freely. And this got me to thinking about another story. Imagine a time long ago when a king and queen rule their land. They are dearly loved by their subjects and they serve the people with care and compassion. 
But far away in the north country, a rebellion is brewing. Enemies of the kingdom have been feeding misinformation to the citizens there about their monarch, saying that the royal family has stolen property from them, and the king and queen's thugs are responsible for robberies in their countryside. But in fact, it is the kingdom's enemies responsible for those crimes. So the people of the north country plan a revolt. They make plans the following spring to form a militia and march south and attack the palace. When news of this reaches the king and queen, they are alarmed, but they remain loyal to their northern citizens. They love them. They know the lies these people have heard. The prince also shares their love and loyalty to the people, so he offers to go to the north country and make peace with them. Now, this is before photographs and printing presses. Uh, everyone, though, knew what the king and queen looked like in the kingdom, but few, especially in the north country, know what the prince looks like. So he travels alone, dressed as a commoner, using one of his many names given to him at birth, one that nobody knows. And when he arrives, he befriends the people. And they befriend him, and he proves very quickly to be a, a wise, capable, compassionate leader. So the northern people decide to, that this man, a commoner like themselves, will be their new king. They pledge their loyalty to him, and they say, lead the way, and we will follow. So when spring arrives, he leads them to march south to the palace. And when they arrive at the palace gate, the prince stands before the northern militia and he does what they do not expect. He lays down his sword and shield and gets on one knee and bows his head. And so because they are following him, all of them do likewise. To their surprise, the palace gate opens before them, and out walk the king and queen and all their royal entourage. The prince then turns around and speaks, Members of the northern militia, you have pledged your loyalty to me. I am here to tell you that the enemies of this kingdom have spread lies among you about the king and queen. It is these enemies who have stolen your property. It is these enemies who have, uh, who have attacked and robbed you in the countryside. Your king and queen remain loyal to you, as do I, their son. And as they are there down on one knee, thinking about what they have just heard, they believe him, and they repent of their rebellion. Then the prince says to them, Here are your king and queen, and on their behalf I invite you all to join a great feast inside the palace that has been prepared for you. And with that, all the members of the militia abandon their weapons they enter into the palace to dine with the king and queen and their son. And that is why 
the Son of God became one of us to bring us home, to restore our relationship with God, to change our lives forever. And he says, welcome home. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, what an amazing plan that you set in place to bring back the people that you love, the people that you created to, to offer us a way back home, to turn away from our rebellion, to learn the truth. And so, Lord, we pray that you will come and meet us here right where we are, Jesus, we thank you that because we know you, you bring us back into the kingdom, back into the family. And Lord, there, there may be some of us here today who have been wondering and questioning where we fit in all of this story, but today we are saying, yes, that's where I want to be. I want Jesus to, to be with me and to welcome me home and to bring me in uh, to the Father's house. I want to be one with Christ. I want to know him personally. And if that's where you are right now and you've said, I've been waiting too long to, to decide this and to, to give my life to him, but now you want to, I would ask just as, a, as an expression of your faith, just lift up your hand for a moment, will you? Lift up your hand. Thank you. Oh, Lord. We raise our hands as an expression of our faith and our put, we give our lives to you. We are all yours, Lord. We are sorry for the things that we have done. We have gone astray. We have rebelled. And yet you have not given up on us. Thank you for coming to bring us home. We pray in the, Jesus in your great name and all God's people said, amen. Um, I think we are uh, kind of getting low on time, so we're going to skip that song, and you're going to do it after, maybe, uh, the, uh, the, as we send out. So would you stand with me? Um. God hasn't given up on you. You know, I think that's, maybe that's the message behind why did the Son of God become human is because God wouldn't give up on you. He still wanted to reach out to you, call you. He wanted to let you know that you are important. You are a son or a daughter of the kingdom. In seven days, we're going to be back here. We're going to be worshiping God. We're going to be coming back into this story that has claimed us. And over these next seven days, remember that you are a child of God. Will you join with me as we say together, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.